Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That? A radio show about anything and everything happening in our community, our city, and our world. Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What Do You Know About That? How's it going, Mary Angela? Not too bad, Eric. How are things on your world? I am busy, busy, busy. Aren't it's we all? It's a very busy springtime for me. Yeah. Everybody well, is. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, thanks so much for listening, everyone. We appreciate your listenership. Yeah. What are we talking about today? Uh, what's going on this day in science? This day in science. May 12th, Thursday, this day in science, a team of international scientists working primarily from Tokohu University in Japan discovered a state of matter they named John Teller Metals. It's J-A-H-N, John Teller. I guess that's how you pronounce it, or it's Yan teller metals for centuries there were thought to be only three types of matter gases solids and liquids but this discovery was the latest in varying forms of exotic matter yon teller metals which combine the qualities of magnets metals insulators and semiconductors ooh big words mm-hmm. provide unprecedented insight into the nature of superconductors devices that promise to revolutionize the way we use and store energy. Huh. Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. I, I personally am not familiar with this, but, you know, I think that actually um, the topic of energy use and storage is a huge one that most likely will end up being covered in one of our episodes. But it actually makes me think about nanotubes, carbon nanotubes. Are you familiar with those? A, a little... I mean, I've heard of it, but now I'm drawing kind of a blank on what I think I remember it was. Tell me about it. So a carbon nanotube is essentially, if you think about the way carbon forms chemical bonds, it forms, it's a six-pointed shape, right? That's a hexagon. So hexagonal shape. So that pattern, almost like the tiling in, in our bathroom, it forms not not only uh, a nice geometric design, but it is conducive to forming these little nanotubes. So they're literally just an atom thick and they can be used for all kinds of things. Uh, your uncle actually mentioned talking about them being used in microphones, but I've heard of them being used for storing energy. They're similar to like the way a capacitor operates and that you would store energy in it and you could potentially use that and once it's done, you could just compost it because it's just carbon. Oh. It's just carbon. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting. I mean, I wonder if it's just like too expensive for us to start using or, you know, like basically making it functional is complicated well, or... Everything's too expensive until yeah. until they figure out a way to make it less expensive. Yeah. Well, someone should get on that. It sounds pretty darn cool. No doubt. So 
What's going on in the neighborhood? Well, uh, since today is the 12th, we are just two days away from that thing I've been telling you about for the last two episodes, which is the electronics recycling Ooh. at Chestnut Hill College. Exciting. Uh, which is happening on May 14th. So don't forget, it's Saturday, May 14th, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Chestnut Hill Ho- College, which is at 9601 Germantown Avenue, if you don't know. And they are accepting things with both plugs and batteries. That's so important. So you can take things that are battery operated, which most electronics recycling will not allow you to do that. So that's a big deal. So, Huge. of course, that's still happening. Um, something else that came up, which I found really interesting, <laughs> is there was a post literally just today where someone's asking where in, in Mount Area, Germantown, this area, can you get a good hoagie? Because he went to Wawa and it just let him down. And I'm like, well, that's not surprising. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> like, who goes to Wawa for a good hoagie? Wa- yeah. I mean, like, okay, hoagie. It's fast food hoagie. It's okay, Come on. right, yeah, but it's a Wawa hoagie. Sorry, Wawa. But, you I know. love Wawa. Yeah, yeah, no, love it. I'm, I'm, in, but, I'm into Wawa. But yes, they, they know they're not the hoagie capital. Even though they have hoagie fest, they do all these things to try and get you to love, love, love the Wawa. They have free coffee day. Right, they right. They have free coffee day at Wawa. <laughs> sure. But great hoagies. Not always uh, their forte. Um, so it was interesting to see people in the community weigh in about where some of their favorite hoagie places were. Because when I saw it posted, I thought, I don't have an answer to this. I, I don't was actually say, what, think. What's your favorite hoagie place? But you don't. Well, not up here, yeah. right? If I'm if I'm thinking where I'm going to go get a hoagie, I'm thinking I'm going to go downtown. And I'm going to, you know, if I'm if we're talking cheesesteak, I'm going to probably, you know go on over to Tony Luke's or something, you know, like that's, it's kind of my place of choice. But, you know, I figured there's gotta be right. Because there's also, we all have heard of Primo hoagies, right? It's at the top of the hill. And there's, well, also there's also Lee's hoagies. Uh huh. Yeah. And so it was interesting to see people mentioning different ones. The biggest one right now that actually, uh, I don't necessarily, I guess it's Ridge Avenue. It's 8101 Ridge Avenue is the address. So is that Roxborough? Manion? Yeah, yeah. That's is that Delisandros or is that like no? It's TNF Farmers Pride. TNF Farmers Pride apparently makes a mean hoagie. So, um, and that is where yeah, it does. Sorry, the a few posts down, someone said it's Roxborough. So, um, yeah, if you want something in this side of the city that's that's apparently really good because this wasn't just like one person saying this. This was like. 12 people saying this because there's 90 comments on this thread, by the way, just FYI. And when people posted it, an additional 23 people loved it immediately, the the sharing of that. So that must be the spot to go. Next to that, people started commenting. (laughs) Toto's Pizzeria got mentioned twice. Mm, I found that interesting because I've never really had a hoagie of note <laughs> i mean they they make it okay notable hoagie but is this a hoagie it's okay but the second biggest one aside from the tnf that was mentioned was actually the mount airy deli and mini mart which you know that's the one that's over on um i think it's devon street and it's it's an east mount airy and i think it's near there's an yes. indian restaurant over there um, it's kind of pocketed back in the neighborhood where you're like, whoops, here's a deli. And uh, <laughs> well, they they and they do is that's that's the place that does breakfast, right? They do also have breakfasts yep. and stuff. But yeah, so a lot of people commented that they have really incredible hoagies there too. So I was like, all right, so now we've got some places to go to try out a hoagie. So if you are ever in doubt as to where to 
shop for a hoagie, you've got some options. Go, go try it out. Who knows? Let me know. But yeah, those those were the big ones. I just found it a really amusing conversation. Uh, a couple people did chime in and were like, you can't in Northwest Philadelphia. You have to go somewhere else. <laughs> and I was like, no, it has to exist, dude. Don't knock the Northwest. We're, well, we're I will say here. this. Probably even the worst Philly hoagie stands up to anything outside of Philly. That's I mean, true. that's just the truth. Like I, so I grew up, you know, we grew up in near Maryland, DC area. And you know, what's really funny is any place in Maryland that advertises, they don't call it a cheesesteak. It's a steak and cheese. Yeah. No. Nope. So they, <laughs> they know, they know not to cross that line. Yeah. They're not giving us a cheesesteak. They're giving us a steak and cheese. Yeah, and usually Whole steak and cheese situation. has got like it's more like a like a club sandwich with like steak on it. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Oh goodness. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about actually was another post. I love it when neighbors post something hoping for answers, and then the neighborhood goes, "Why are you asking this question?" <laughs> Why Why are you bringing this up right now? What's um, the matter with you? Right, exactly. And that's what happened here. <laughs> so the actual post, I'm going to read the original post because it's very short. It says, birds are trying to build a nest near my back door above the light. I've tried to destroy their unfinished nest, but they keep coming back with weeds, etc. to build their nest back up. What can I do to keep them away? Oh, no. I, I already have an idea of what's coming next. Yeah. The very first comment. Have a heart. They'll be gone in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Immediately. It's like, dude, what is the matter with you? But, and, and all the comments that follow. And at last count, there were um, approximately, oh, it just told me how many there were. Oh, yes. There are approximately 55 comments as of looking right now. And... So many of them are people sharing their own stories of how much they love the birds that come and nest around their door. Um, One woman is like, I have a wreath that I leave out on my door from Christmas every year because they will come and build a nest and then they will hatch and they will feed them and they will all fly away and then I'll bring the wreath in. (laughs) Like the wreath has done its job and then I'll put it back out at Christmas and it'll be there for them the next year. Like every year she lets the birds do this. And yeah, you know, people got... Pretty hot with this person. <laughs> like just it's just nature. Can, right, can't you just right, share with nature? Right. What what is wrong with you? What are they hurting? Like it's not a big deal. It's not you know, and and I guess that's really is my question is, you know, okay, obviously, you know, if you're somebody who is concerned about I don't know, a bird flying on you well, or yeah. pooping on you or something. But yeah. first of all, it's his back door. So it's not like it's the front door where you got to walk in and out all the time. You don't necessarily have to go out the back door all the well, time. Well, it's not like like a wasp's nest, right? Correct. They're not going <laughs> to sting you. They're not going to come out and attack you, Precisely, I'm sure. right. You know, they're probably going to be more afraid of you. And most likely, you know, that mother bird's going to be out hunting for food once those eggs hatch to be able to come back yeah, and feed them. I think the worst them. you got to deal with is what them... You know, chirping. Poop. Yeah, chirping and maybe some poop, some bird poop. It's probably yeah, not going to be great. Nobody loves bird poop. but A little bird poop didn't hurt anybody. I mean, seriously, you can survive some bird poop. So it was, it was interesting because this is one where I honestly couldn't find anyone who actually agreed with this person. He did chime in about halfway through this list and start saying things like, I tried tinfoil. I tried like all these things. And we were like, stop it. Cut it out. I tried using bleach. <laughs> right, like, what? Right, don't. You know, there's some 
some reason why they've chosen that spot. There's some reason they've already okay. established that this is where they're going to make their home. Just let them. They're just pretty. But yeah, then reading through everybody else's stories, there are you know, people who have robins that come every year into their garden. Oh, wow. And yeah, they just come back every year. And you know, I would the, say it's a blessing. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we have a beautiful lilac bush in the backyard and a couple times i think we've spotted cardinals that oh, just yeah. come and hang out it's like wow they're so majestic yeah the the neighborhood consensus was let the birds be they're not going to hurt anything and it's okay mm-hmm. um oh one person did suggest a fake owl <laughs> <laughs> someone said just just buy a fake owl and put it near there and the birds will stay away and i'm like just buy a fake owl you know just at the terrify fake owl the shop. birds with the fake owl when you know they sell fake owls because you can put them on your roof it's meant to keep you know yeah. different things away is it like that's like at away. the farmer's store right yeah you, you can get them you're not going to find that at target yeah so, but uh, yeah, I just found that a very interesting conversation amongst neighbors. If you have some thoughts about letting birds make nests in your backyard, please email Or us. Your, your favorite hoagie spot. Yes, or your favorite hoagie spot. Please send us an email at whatdoyouknowgtown at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at whatdoyouknowaboutthat and drop us a message. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Please, please do. So... Our last episode, it was my turn, and I continued the conversation about food, so now we're switching gears. It is your show this week, so what are we talking about? And this is a complete surprise to me, folks. I have no clue. Usually, Mary Angel will share some details ahead of the show, but I'm going into this completely clueless, so what are we talking about? Well, I thought we'd talk about medieval torture devices. Oh, yay! (laughs) Nice and upbeat topic. (laughs) Not exactly. It's not exactly. But I mean, that's going to be part of the conversation, but not... It's not exactly what you're thinking. So <laughs> do do we do we need to warn our listeners for No, any... there there shouldn't okay. be. I'm not going to get graphic. It's not okay. going to be anything like that. So I was turned on to a podcast by a friend of mine called You're Wrong About. Okay. <laughs> Where what do you know about that? There you're wrong about. And it's a whole podcast that's devoted to urban legends or things you think you know and actually aren't correct, things you believed your whole life where you're like, oh, I always thought this was, you know, historical fact. And then they're like, nope, you're wrong about that. Mm-hmm. This is this is what it actually is. And the very first episode that I listened to was about medieval torture devices. Okay. I highly recommend that you look it up. They're on, you know, <laughs> Apple Podcasts or on, you know, everywhere you listen to podcasts, check them out. They're great. And what I found fascinating was it wasn't really what I thought it was going to be about. Yeah, of course, they mentioned what the devices were, etc. But there was a much broader conversation. And that's what really interested me. And that's what I want to talk about. Okay. So medieval torture devices. When I say that, you had the reaction that you had where you're like, ooh, okay, this is going to be a, do we need to have a trigger warning? What's going on? What is the first thing you think of well, when yeah, I say something like... All, I mean. When you say torture devices, I'm thinking things that have been forged out of metal and wood that usually have some pokey element, and then there's usually some morbid, creepy element that's been added just to add the scare factor, like the Iron Maiden, for example. You know, there's this portrait of this individual on the outside of this coffin-like device, and it's filled with spikes, or like they have the little thumb vices, or... All, you know, any number of things that were designed to elicit confessions out of people, 
especially during, if you think about medieval times, where you had um, uh, Western religion that, that was spreading across Europe, and people, you know, you had uh, folks who were witch hunting and trying to out heretics, and so they would torture these people to, you know, get them to confess, in addition to just... I think the standard liner of torturing that they would do with prisoners generally. So that's an interesting thing that you say there where you, you, your understanding is that basically a medieval times was just full of an entire population of people who were super into torturing each other. Well, I, I think the criminal justice system, if you think about that, probably torture was a common element used I don't. It may not be so as ubiquitous, just like from day to day. But I, I would think that if you were a criminal, and depending on the type of crime, especially if it was like high profile, like political or something. But no, no, we're talking about medieval. So let's start here. Yeah. When do you think the medieval period was? If I said when, what, what years do you think the medieval period stretches from? Ugh. What would you say? Gosh, I'm not really good at history. I mean, this is going to probably just, just your guesstimation, your I, understanding. I'd say somewhere between like uh, the the twelfth and you know fourteenth, fifteenth century. Okay, so you're not too far off. You're a little bit wrong. It was a longer period than that. The medieval time really back, roughly right? runs from the year four hundred BC to fourteen hundred BC. Okay, so we're talking like a thousand years. It was a thousand year period that went through like a couple phases. There's the early Middle Ages. There's the Middle Middle Ages, and there's the like later Middle Middle Ages, right? But that's a thousand years, right? That's a long time. Uh, Society yeah. can do a lot of evolving. In a thousand years. It, it took us a while to, to reach the plateau, but now we're starting to exponentially sure. change. Yeah. But do you remember what happened in 1400? Do you know why the Middle Ages basically ends in 1400? Well, you had the Renaissance, right? Yes-ish. That came, well, that came prior after to, a so, little. So, so you, you had a change of the political structure within Europe, right? Sort of. The feudal of. system. It's really about the age of discovery. 1400s, the 1400s is when we discovered that, or Europeans, I should say, discovered that there was an entire continent in between them and the other side of the continent that they were actually on. Mm -hmm. It's when America was discovered. It's when Columbus right. came down and, and found the Caribbean and did all these things, you know, trying to find this. So the age of enlightenment. Um, yes. Cor correct. Yes. So, and that is what ended the Middle Ages. Now, it's really important to note that when you start talking about, and this is something they mentioned in this podcast, that when you talk about, you know, an age, your age seem more profound, right? If you want to be like, we are the age of enlightenment, we are enlightened, right? You're going to go back to the past and go, see, these people were brutal. These people oh, I see. were awful. We're so much better than they were. Okay, we're doing like this and this to punish people because of course we have to have order and we have there has to be, you know, punishment fit the crime, etc. But so there's a little bit of washing of history. Almost. Yeah, a little bit and a little bit of embellishing and a little bit of taking things that did exist but didn't exist and weren't widely in use or even in use at all during right. the actual Middle Ages. Some of the things that we think of as middle, mid, um, medieval torture devices actually were things that 
were developed for completely different reasons, but from way more primitive earlier civilizations Hmm. and used, you know, when we think about things like civilizations that had ritual sacrifice, like the Incas and the Mayans, then they were considered really brutal. So it would be very easy for somebody. Yeah. And I don't think, well, I guess those weren't intended necessarily to be torture, right? Those were. Right. They were meant to be, it was sacrifice. You were, you were honoring, yes, you were honoring the gods. So now when you're in an age of enlightenment and you're trying to say, well, these people in the middle ages were awful. We were so much more enlightened than they were. You're, you can take now from periods of history way before when the middle ages actually started and say, this was happening then. This is what they were doing when they actually weren't. Savages. Right, because it's a thousand years. You've got a thousand years. Nobody who's writing this history in the 1400s and, and on was alive then. So honestly, they can kind of say whatever they want. Plus, books are now being written, well, right? Well, I was going to say the, the, the degree of chronicling was probably not as... Correct, because we didn't start writing books truly that weren't religious. Yeah, exactly. Until the this age of, age of enlightenment. enlightenment, right? <laughs> we started writing other books. Hey, there's other things besides religion to talk about. But so what they started doing was again. Now you can kind of write the history that you want. You can say the things, and that's how some of these devices that were never actually in use, that may have only been ever, you know, thought up for you know a scare tactic or something, you know, in some way like that. Uh, a legend that you told children, like the legend of Krampus, to keep them in line, <laughs> to like keep them from misbehaving, right. now suddenly becomes a thing that, wow, they really used that in the medieval times, and they actually didn't. So in particular, something like the Iron Maiden, which did exist, but in a lot of cases, if you were a king or, you know, a lord or somebody who was ruling over, you know, governments, all you really had to do was have one, never have to use it. Right. You just had to have one to scare people, right? So, and that, of course, then breeds legend. Oh, he had it. He must have had to use it at some point, which means a thousand years later, that king was brutal, had an Iron Maiden, was using it to kill people all the time. He wasn't. (laughs) We were all still humans, right? We were all still just trying to live. what you're saying is history is just gossip. Well, (laughs) not always, but in some cases. In some cases, right. And particularly when we're talking about things like medieval torture devices. So one that I also found really interesting was called the the Scold's Bridle. Okay. Now, just the thought of this one definitely... Sounds like it involves boiling water or boiled tar or something just horrendous. It doesn't. So it was used, supposedly, (laughs) theoretically, it was used... For people who were uh, found guilty of gossip or nagging or cursing or unwanted talking. They take your tongue out? No, they don't. You wear it and it has a little spike that sits on your tongue. And as long as you're not moving your tongue, you are fine. Oh, my gosh. But the minute you move your tongue, you're not. So who would benefit from making someone believe that this was a thing that existed that could be used on them? Who would benefit? Sure. From... The existence of that? Not the existence of it. The belief of the existence of it. Right? Who could you keep in line? Well, yeah. I mean, if you're, who, you're trying to control the masses, the, right, you don't no, want no, people who to is, say come out and say riot who, against. No. Who in the Middle Ages would you want to not gossip, to not nag, to not curse, to not talk when they're not, shouldn't be talking? <laughs> 
it, children, women, dude, women. women. I was just gonna that that was gonna be my first thing, <laughs> right? But I, so I was like, get there. Yes, no, of course, men would use this concept. Yes, to keep their woman in line. Don't make me go get a scold's bridle, right? Probably never, ever really existed. But because there was a concept of it, because it could be, you know, because again, at that time, without, you know, textbooks and things that you could actually see, there were no magazines. It's all word of mouth. You know, I was just conceptualizing what if like back in the medieval period, there was like some equivalent to like the Sears catalog with all these torture. Don't make me go buy this one. There isn't, but the equivalent of that was people talking about it, yes. right? Yeah. It's people talking about it. It's a you know men basically being like, I can go get this thing. Don't make me go get this thing. And then that woman's now washing her laundry down in the lake with whoever else, the women that are washing their laundry, and they're like, oh, yeah, no, I heard a story about such and such up on the hill, wow. and her husband put her in one, Like even though that probably never happened. But that's how urban legends start. Could you imagine if social media existed in the medieval period? Yeah, no, it we would, would be, be screwed. Worst. Yeah, no, it would have been the worst. But um, anyway, the, the point is that, yes, that was most likely never, ever mm, really a thing. Very interesting. But but absolutely terrifying to think about and probably did the job that it was intended to do, which was scare people, um, rightfully so. So another famous one outside the Iron Maiden that you may think of when you think of medieval torture devices is the rack, right? Yeah, stretch you out. Yeah, so they like to use the rack in any kind of movie about the Middle Ages and things like that. It It is true that the rack actually did legitimately exist. What isn't necessarily as well known is that the frequency of it, right? So again, we have this concept of like, eh, people were just strapped on the rack and tortured all the time. Like, this is what happened. Yep. And we get this concept from books with illustrations of this thing that were written thousands of years after when it was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And again, who benefits from that? People who are trying to maintain power. Correct. The people who are control. trying to control the masses and yeah. you know keep you just in your place where you're supposed to be. You know what you're supposed to be? You're supposed to believe this religion. You know why you're going to believe yeah. this religion? Because if you don't, you're going to end up on this rack. This is going to happen. And even the inquisitions, which we all know were very awful, but... The extremity of it is what's overblown. And, and, and mm -hmm. so we will never really know truly what happened to, to its fullest extent because there aren't a lot of writings of it. It is a lot of word of mouth. Well, and kind of going online. back to your point about the actual existence of some of these, because I'm thinking about this for a second and considering the amount of energy, thought, design to create something like that you know, A, you would think you would invest that perhaps in the greater good or something just that's just more beneficial to you and like maintenance and such. Like to have to make something like that. Right. Like there's no Kmart for like racks. You well, got to the like build these by hand. Is that truly, you know, if you think about it conceptually, these devices, you wouldn't survive them, you know, like m most of them anyway, they would end up killing you like it would uh, yeah you know, it seems like right. the idea and, right and so truly at its core the societies that we're speaking of even in the middle ages were humane societies and while they were like somebody might deserve to die for a crime they committed they're going to do it like aka the guillotine they're going to do something that's quick and swift you know yeah. someone's going to come with an axe and hack off your head like they're not going kind of keep the mess factor down yeah they're not going to draw it out 
unless it needs to be a public spectacle. Exactly, if they're trying to make a, a demonstration out of you. Correct, which yep. would happen, but the perception that we have now in the 21st century of how often it happened yeah. and in what ways it happened yep. is completely overblown. It's not it truly It makes for what good happened. cinema, though. Sure, it does. <laughs> um, but it also then, you know, if we all think like we came from, you know, people who evolved from the Middle Ages, right, a society that, that grew out of that, you know, we, we have to realize that like, Yes, the period of enlightenment was was wonderful. It was great that that we got past that, but I feel like that didn't happen in a snap. You know what I mean? So it had to have happened over that thousand years that that this was supposedly going on. But again, nobody gains from that if that's the narrative, right? You well, need to Well, I mean, just to put it in context, I mean, people use torture tactics even today to elicit information, you know. So that's not something that's new and probably won't go away, unfortunately. Sure, but again, the the scale—it's it's about scale and yep. you know how. It's not as ubiquitous as people would think. Sure. So then, the last one I kind of wanted to talk about because it also um, I found it very interesting is she talks about the the brazen bull, and this one definitely can be linked all the way back to like the two hundred. Oh, this one. This this is this is like a Greek Roman kind of device. Yeah, from like the two hundreds. Oh yeah. Like Yep. I've I know what you're talking about. This is a horrible thing. Uh yeah. So I mean I'm not gonna get super specific, but basically it's an iron bowl and you put a person in it and it's not a way to torture someone it's a way it's for, a way to kill someone yeah it's a person's not going to survive this either because you set a fire under it but the point is is that there is an example of someone taking something that a society mm. that fell because the reason why the middle ages start in 400 is because what happened in 400 ad rome fell yeah rome went away so this was something a carryover from that society which basically imploded at that well time. yeah i think ultimately the roman society fell apart due to corruption correct so but again, here's an example of them being like, we're going to pull this and say, oh, this was also something they did in the medieval times. It's like, no, that's not accurate. They they didn't. No. They were more enlightened than that, which goes to my point that that thousand years of the Middle Ages when the, the you know everybody from 1400 on wants you to believe was these dark, dark times when everybody was torturing everybody and it was the worst time at all to be alive. It was the worst time to be alive well, so, for a lot of reasons, so there but was most the, of them didn't have to do with torture. <laughs> right, but there was that period, though, where it, it's actually called the Dark Ages, right? And that's where we didn't have any recorded histories between the fall of Rome and then... Correct, that's what the Middle Ages are. That's that Right, That well, it's not even Christianity. It's, it's, the, it's considered 400 AD all the way to like 1400 when... We discovered other continents and we started to become enlightened mm -hmm. and, you know, we, we sort of stepped out of that. But in that thousand years, things like, you know, plagues happened and, oh yeah, you know, all, all, it was it was definitely a struggle. It was, it was more a tribal existence and then you started to have this slow movement towards a feudal system with kingdoms starting to emerge and then unite. Right. Um, various communities. Yep. 
Yeah, and in the end, people are just trying to live. They're just, they just want to live. <laughs> right, so, that, so that's where it's like, it doesn't make sense that, yeah, everybody was going around torturing everybody. But I think perspective is key. And so that makes me wonder what people are going to say about us a thousand uh, about, years you know, now. several centuries down the road, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean, sure think about gonna, it. We had such an, like, such an expansive industrial revolution that happened in such a small amount of time. You know, when we look at something, you know, it took a thousand years for us to get from the fall of Rome to the enlightenment. Right. <laughs> so here we are, the, our, the industrial revolution of the world basically happened in 250 years for lack of better. Yeah. At least this, if you think about it though, industrial revolution, if you were to say step back from it, looking at a future that is yet to come the past 200 you said the past 200 uh, 250 years, years sure yeah. or i mean you, you had more of the 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 more modern advances that started to kick into gear uh during the 19th century right during the civil war that started part of it but even going back further like you talk about the age of enlightenment and then you have european scientists you have newton and then following newton's footsteps folks who are discovering elements, things like that. But yeah, I mean, I can only imagine where we're going to be just even the next hundred years. Um, a lot of the sci-fi stuff that you see in movies today is probably going to be you know, science reality. But, but we have a lot of ways of capturing information. So that makes me wonder, will it be as easy for people to write their own narrative of us in the future, right? as it was for the people in 1400s to write of the people in the Middle Ages. Well, because... you bring up a really good point, though, when you talk about how during the Age of Enlightenment that there was this washing of history in order to paint a certain perspective. So we know that the history books have a bias in some regard. And, yeah, I think the only way to counter that is just with more information but yeah, information can be buried. So, it can be. Yeah, I expect yeah, no, that. I, I wonder. It'll be washed for sure. That's just the nature of things. Or, or what will be highlighted out? Like, I wonder what particular lessons they'll want to glean from us, or what 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 things they'll want to use examples from our time, our society's time, to help shape their society. Like, you know, will it be? cussing you know will it be something that like you know there'll be some study that somebody does 150 years from now and goes well the people in you know the early 21st century they used way too many curse words so their you know brains were this much smaller than the others or it dumbed down their intellect or like who knows but it, you know whatever they need to make their their point to make mm -hmm. their narrative work um and how many times has that happened in the course well, of history i think either way whatever that's going to be to your point it's going to be written from the perspective of whoever's in charge sure whoever's writing that book 100 <laughs> yes, that's that's how it goes but yeah but that's not new so i know that there are a lot of people who are like this is something that's new that's been happening now like we live in a society now where this no this has been going on for hundreds of thousands of years people do this this is human nature this is you know like i said shaping shaping history shaping the stories to fit the narrative they want to tell and you know that's... and such is the case apparently with medieval torture devices correct so 
that was my topic. That's what I had. Do check out, you know, if you're interested in listening to more things about stuff you, you think you know about, but, but don't, what you're wrong about. That's the name of that podcast. You can find it on all the, all the places. It's a good one. So they talk about things other than just medieval torture devices. They do. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Sorry. That was, that was just that one episode, but gotcha. shout out to them. They're great. Um, at least, I mean, I like them. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I don't, I don't know if they're great. But uh, anyway, yeah. So let's, uh, what, take a break and come back with who are the musicians in our neighborhood? That's right. We're going to take a little quick break. And then uh, joining us today is Mr. Emmett Druding. So please stick around. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio. Welcome back, G-Town Radio listeners. It is time for our segment, Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? And today we are joined by Mr. Emmett Druding. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. So you're right in the neighborhood. You're in Mount Airy, correct? Well, I was for many, many years. You grew up in Mount Airy. I did. I grew up in Mount Airy, and I've I've lived there for the last eight years. So, I I mean, I lived in the city for about 10 years after high school, and I bounced around, and then I moved back up there. Um, uh, Actually, my father passed away. I moved back in with um, my mother to hang out with her and um, the the woman who became my wife, Jenny. And we lived in this little awesome compound, and I had a home studio and all that, and it was great. And I just moved, and I miss it, but I also am happy to have my own space, so that's good, too. So... Maybe back up a little bit. Just tell us a little bit about, you know, how you kind of got into playing and your particular, if you want to call it a genre or style, you know, how that evolved. Yeah. So um, I started, I mean, I started as a drummer and I say that because, I mean, I was no, by no means a, you know, a working drummer or anything like that. I was like eight years old and I played drums till I was probably 13 or something like that. Um, but I say that because I think it was such a big part of how I play guitar um, is, you know, I think it's something I take for granted. And as a teacher, cause I teach, um, I realize that rhythm is just by far the most important thing, you know, I think for any musician really. Um, so it's one of those things where uh, I, I credit that. And I thank my dad for doing that. Cause my dad was very adamant. It was about his piano or drums. Um, and I understand why he chose those instruments, two percussive instruments, you know? So, um, so I started playing drums and um, I would, um, I didn't really play in any bands. Well, no, that's not true. I actually played with Curtis Cooper. I don't know if you know who Curtis Cooper is. No. Curtis Cooper is a great musician. They're an awesome person. And uh, they're a great uh, Philly musician who grew up in the area in in, in Germantown. Um, maybe Charlie Cooper's son. I don't know if that if that um, humble man band. But there's a there's a whole scene there. But um, I played. We played Nirvana covers with them when we were kids, and we would do that. And I learned a lot playing with Curtis. Um, and then I ended up filling in for some bands. I was like the backup drummer. You know, if somebody couldn't make the show, I would show up, and I just play boom bop and it would work. You know what I mean? Cool. And, um, and then I, you know, at some point my self-indulgence, uh, you know, watered me over to the instrument. Well, actually what really happened is I, I my, my best friends as kids, we, we were like three, like I have 
four guys who were really, we were really, really close. Um, they're like my brothers. And because um, I'm an only child. So for me, they're my brothers. And um, we formed a band um, called Alternatives to War. <laughs> it's a very Mount Airy, you know, band name. And, yeah. um, uh, so we did that. And um, I was the singer in that band. So, you know, I did my Jim Morrison thing, you know, like uh, walking around, strutting around the stage and, you know, trying to be all sexy. And I was like 12 years old or something like that. <laughs> And it was very embarrassing and, and you know, un, it's unlistenable when you go back, but it's still, you know, it's, but, but I remember uh, my first time I wrote a song on guitar was I, I, I had a melody in my head and I realized that the only way I was going to be able to, you know, figure this out was if I sat down on the instrument and did something with it, you know? Um, so I, you know, I ended up playing um, through that and I really just played punk music, you know, through high school and I played uh, guitar and I just played power chords and bar chords. And I just played chords. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just putting my fingers in places and just, you know, um, kind of just finding melodies somehow through that process, which I think is a really great process and works really well for some people, some of which are super famous musicians who, you know, you don't need to necessarily know, um, you know, theory or anything like that. You don't have to, um, by any means. Um, I like it personally, but I started out as just, punk really just punk music yeah, and play just, by um, feel yeah play by feel and again that rhythmic element really helped me kind of be able to i can sing and play you know and i can do it fast and and um stay and beat so that was enough you know a lot of people have a hard time doing that so for me it was it was, it was what helped me get my songs out there and so i did that um and then when i got into my that was basically through high school and then when i got into college um I really had no intention of being a musician. I wanted to be a writer. Um, and I went to college thinking that I was going to be a writer and thinking that I was going to do some sort of like, I don't know, like uh, writing, like, you know, like communication writing, you know, like I was like, I got to get a job. You know what I mean? Like I got to work, you know, and I was working in restaurants and I was like, I got to get out. And so I would still play. I still wrote a lot of songs and I'm a gig, but, um, I wasn't very good. I mean, I really was not. I was, I mean, some, you know, I would play temple parties and I think people thought they liked, they, they liked, or they had been engaged because I was screaming my head off and my veins were popping out of my head and I was looking crazy and I was drinking too much and being stupid. You know what I mean? Um, so it may have been entertaining. It wasn't good though. <laughs> so, uh, so I did that. And then, um, eventually I kind of gathered myself and, um, you know, started writing tunes and I got a band together with actually my, my father. Um, and, um, uh, Jack Zaffries who's a great bass player, um, in Philly, um, just released something today, which you should all go check out. Um, Jack Zaffries, amazing composer, uh, musician, uh, and, uh, Harry Metz, who's a uh, roll gold. Who's uh, that's his, uh, that's his producing, uh, moniker and he's a spectacular producer. So we had this band and they were, you know, helping me kind of, get to where I wanted to be with my, whatever you call vision or whatever. And so we put our first, put, put my first thing out in 2015. It was an EP called strange brews. And I actually recorded it at headroom studio. So that was a really, and I actually worked with, um, Joe from, um, uh, hop along. Um, he was actually the, if you don't know who hop along is they're, 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 they're on, they were on saddle Creek records, but they're, they're, um, 
really great band. Um, and he was in uh, Algernon um, Catawaller. I, I, I just can't pronounce the last name of that band, but he's a great guitar player. And really, so I was in there and I was like, oh my God, like um, I'm working with this guy. And then I was also working with my friend Noah Barrison, who grew up in Mount Airy, who was uh, kind of got famous for being in this group called Chitty Band. And he would come back and support his friend and be like, hey man, let's take you into the studio. And I'd be like, all right, whatever, I don't know what I'm doing. And he would guide me along. So, and then Ryan Schwab too, who's masters everybody. And he's like, he just won a Grammy, I think for a record he did. Um, so I was in a room with some heavy hitters at a young age and I was really, nice. had no business being there. <laughs> but um, we made a cool record. And I, I, you know, people still talk to me about that record and I, I can't listen to it, frankly, <laughs> but that's okay. I don't listen to anything of my stuff. I just, I have to move on. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, uh, kill the darlings or whatever they say. So, um, yeah. And then after that, um, what happened was, um, I was gigging for a while. My dad got sick. Um, and my dad is, if you don't know who my dad was, was Richard Drudy. And I definitely want to give him a shout out because, uh, to me, he's really the, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm definitely, I definitely have something to offer, but to, you know, he was a real master of the instrument and a master composer. Um, he was, amazing amazing you know i'm not just saying that he was great it was actually hard being his son in some ways because it was like and being a musician you know it's not like it's not like being bob dylan's son but you know what i mean it's it's in in, in the sort of it but locally it kind of is sometimes because you're in rooms and they're like oh yeah i know your dad that's your guitar player and you're like yeah oh, he was God, kind of uh a mainstay in the in the hood yeah. right? i mean he, he yeah for sure i know uh he used to um run like a workshop with mike slow-mo brenner oh yeah yeah who yeah i mean that was like they, and that was the thing is they were just starting to kind of click at the end of his life you know him and jim hamilton and mike brenner and mm -hmm. i mean it was like wow and he got sick and it was really it was really unfortunate he got um he had copd and it just wore him out and um he ended up uh passing he had he taught a full day of lessons and then he then he passed away so it was crazy you know but um so you know it's it's it what happened was like when he when he when he when he when he died i sort of like um felt this incredible urge to play um and i think it's because i inherited all of his stuff you know i got his guitars i got you know the space his studio yeah. um which is sort of a sacred space to me and um yeah and yeah so so i just started playing like eight six seven hours a day i just was woodshedding i mean just you know, going hard and really starting with the fingerstyle stuff. That's really what I got into. I remember I, you know, I lived inside of a John Fahey book for a couple of years and got that stuff together and then moved on to other things. And um, so I spent the last, really, I would say since 2016, I've just been playing guitar every day for at least three or four hours. Um, and I, you know, kind of forced myself into the point where I, you know, learned music theory and learned how to teach it and, I learned a lot by teaching, you know, I, I, I was able to get a teaching job at this great school called Mr. John's music it's in South Philly on ninth, ninth and Christian. And, um, I was really fortunate to get that job. This guy gave me a chance. I really didn't have any, you know, prior teaching experience and I've been teaching there ever since it's been almost four years. Um, so that's kind of how I got to where I'm at. And, um, you know, I've made a bunch of few records along the way. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. How would you categorize your style if you had to? Like, what would you tell people if someone was like, 
What what's your style? Yes, that is really like the, I know it stumps question, everyone right? when I ask so it. You well, you mentioned yeah. that you were a writer and of the song. Not to jump ahead here, but the song yeah. that you shared that we're going to play for our listeners today, like that was it doesn't surprise me because just listening to the the lyrical content, I was like, okay, definitely <laughs> heady here. There's a story to tell there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that. I think that's not a bad place to kind of categorize because I would say that I, you know, I, I definitely aim to be genreless. I mean, I, I, to me, I don't. I think of my favorite, some of my favorite artists, like you know, I think of, you know, Elliot Smith, The Beatles. I think of Nat King Cole. I think of Dave Van Ronk. I think of Ezra Furman. I think of people that are, to me. Uh, able to, 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 are not trying to make anything. Well, I remember one of the, and I'll, I'll say something about the lyrics in a second, but I remember that I was working with a musician once and they were like, anytime a musician says to me, I want to make something like this. And it's like somebody else's music. And I'm like, well, then what's, I just don't see the point in doing that. You know what I mean? Not that there's anything wrong with that. Just for me, that's not how I want to spend my time. Frankly. Um, I have no interest in trying to regurgitate some other thing. Um, so, um, yeah, I think lyrically, uh, you know, really helped me with, with lyrics. Um, I think for me, it's like, I write my lyrics, they're mine. And I, you know, if I had to write a song for somebody else, that might not be my best, my best forte, you know? All right. So, um, so answer me that, this like, really quick. Yeah. What comes to you first lyrics or the music? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, music, absolutely music. Cool. Um, in fact, I'll tell you in a second, a story about that because the songwriting style has absolutely changed over time. Um, but, uh, but lyrically, I think, you know, I learned a lot from uh, studying microfiction in college, frankly. Hmm. Um, microfiction meaning like a story in four sentences and okay. understanding the weight of a sentence and what you can put inside of a, a line um, and never being direct. Mm-hmm. Unless, unless, it's, unless it needs to be direct. Right. Unless the unless the statement's so powerful that it just can be that, and it's like a mantra or something, you know, almost like a haiku. Yeah, that right. Very cool. I love that. Well, tell us about this this song we're going to play today. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, "When Jazz Dies" is one of the songs that I can still listen to off that record. <laughs> um, uh, I love that record, though. It's not it's not that I don't appreciate the old stuff, but it's you know you know how it is. It's just it's hard to sometimes go back and be like, ah, oh, I would have done that differently. Um, I love this song because I think it's it's exactly kind of what we were just talking about. It's the idea of um, not being kind of trapped inside of any kind of a genre. Um, and also really the lyrical content of it's really about, um, it's not really about the death of jazz. Um, it's about the death of, and not the death of anything really, it's really about the the my observations of people just not wanting to work hard (laughs) and i don't mean that like you know and and maybe that's like i'm not trying to say that there was a time where people worked harder but i i I, you know looking at like you know making things simpler as technology you know things become more convenient and sort of it was my at that time i was really interested in that as a writing subject i'm not so much writing about that anymore but back then i was really interested in like wow is convenience like kind of just like killing us sort of, you know, and like, you know, we're not willing to take the time to make something special, you know? So, so one, some of the words are like, you know, um, 
sitting here waiting, sitting here watching as the rocks begin to form, as the water is washing over them. You know, the idea of like, well, that takes a very long time for something like that to happen. Mm-hmm. And you see this beautiful, you know, landscape, you know. So that was just kind of the idea that I had. I like it. Well, let's let's take a listen to it, shall we? All right. And remind us the title of the song. When Jazz Dies. When Jazz Dies by Emmett Druding. Take a listen. dark See how the world breathes when the trees are all gone I wanna see the AI take our jobs but I gotta remind myself that it takes a little while I'm on the inside looking out Sitting here with the yahoos Natural selection sounds so nice Gotta remind myself that it takes a little while I'm sitting here waiting I'm sitting here watching as the rocks begin to form As the water's washing over them So I'm sitting here waiting I'm sitting here watching as the rocks Time. Cryogenically freeze me, baby. I want to fly my new car beneath the green sky. A computer to hold me when I cry. I gotta remind myself that it takes a little while. Say goodbye to the Mozarts. Say goodbye to the good old homemade apple pie. Say goodbye to jazz. Say goodbye to work. Gotta remind myself that it takes a little while. Sitting here waiting, oh. sitting here watching as the rocks begin to form, as the water's washing over them. So, sitting here waiting, sitting here watching as the rocks begin to form. Oh, I wish I had more time. But sometimes I gotta remind myself. That it takes a little while to say goodbye. I'm sitting here waiting, I'm sitting here watching as the rocks begin to form, as the water's washing over them. So I'm sitting here waiting, I'm sitting here watching as the rocks. To fawn. Oh, I wish I had more time. Yeah, that was great. I really enjoyed that track. 
a lot. What um, you said this is one of your earlier ones. So can we still find this somewhere? Is it is it still out there and places oh, yeah. we can download? Oh well, yeah, this is yeah. This is this is like this is my second. No, it's actually my third full length record technically. Um, so it's it's all on Spotify and and Apple Music and all that stuff. It's all on that place. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I made that in 2019. I I recorded that at. Uh, uh, and written how sound works. Um, Michael Cumming produced it, uh, and Jim Hamilton helped a lot. And um, had a really just a great cast of people on that record. Um, and uh, yeah, so I had that, and then I, I also did another record that I have another project called Sons of L, which is a really a collaborative effort with me and a songwriter from California named uh, PB Adam. Um, He's great. And we, we have actually something coming up, upcoming May 17th. We're really excited about it. Um, we made this electronic record um, over the quarantine period. Oh, and, wow. uh, was this online connection or? It was all recorded online. Yeah. Like or, or recorded remotely being like, he would send me a track. Right. He would build these tracks and he's just a brilliant guy. And he would send me these tracks and I would sing over them. And at first we were like, this is ridiculous. You know, like, Cause I, I'm so much not in, I've never done anything like that before, but I'll tell you what, it really taught me. I really learned the relationship with my microphone and I really learned how to build six, seven part harmony if I needed to, you know what I mean? Just layering, layering. So it's almost like electronic beach boys or something like that, you know, it's um, mixed with like the gorillas or something like that. It's kind of like that sort of feel, you know what I mean? Like I'm here for songwriting, but you know, Cool. Yeah. Thanks. May seventeenth, huh? It's coming out on all the, all, all the platforms. That's, that'll be on all the platforms. And if you check us out on the Instagram at Sons of L, which is S O N S O F E L, um, you can see a little promo video, which is kind of cool. We made this like little like short that's kind of fun, and we're going to be doing some more shorts throughout. So you know, if you tune in, it's going to be kind of cool. What gigs <laughs> do you have? coming up where can people catch you i i play every first thursday um at uh the commodore berry club which is um on amlin street in mount airy um it's a really fun room and i play there with the violinist uh rob sanders who's somebody i've collaborated with for many years he's great we do jazz blues country we do a lot of originals it's really fun let's see it's going to be june 2nd mm-hmm. and then um after that, uh, I also have at the end of this month, you can still catch me. Um, I'll be at uh, The Mermaid on uh, May 26th, which is, um, uh, that's my that's kind of my home base gig. I've been there for many years. I inherited that from my father. And nice. um, this month, I believe I have Joel Planet coming in, who's a good friend of mine from the Planets, who's a great, great guitar player. And um, that should be a really fun one. Come every month, frankly, not just for me. The artists that we're bringing right now are really great. I, it's, I'm so honored to be, you know, sharing the night with some of these people. Um, 
And for some reason, people want to play it. Well, I know why people want to play in that room because it's amazing to play in that room. It's a great room. I mean, yeah, yeah, I have so many people who tell me they have no idea what goes on in there because they just sort of <laughs> see it at that intersection and they're like, yeah. and I'm like, no, it's actually a really great little spot where, you know, good music happens and it's such a, an interesting acoustically sounding room and space when you're in oh. it, you can really feel everything that you're listening to, which is very nice. I mean, good acoustic rooms are hard to find, but I had no idea there was music at the Commodore Barry these days. So that's news to me and very exciting also. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, nice. So if people want to check you out online, it would be your name, correct? Yeah, so you can find me. I think probably my most active thing is Instagram at this point, and it's just at Emmett Druding. And you can find, I'll be, I have my calendar up in the bio. You can hit my link tree and you'll see all my, you know, links to whatever. Um, right. And I'm really, I've really, you know, I really got it together. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, just for our listeners, um, FYI, it's D-R-U-E-D-I-N-G. That's the last name. That's it. That's right. it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. This has been really great having you on. And um, oh, yeah. and thanks again for sharing your tune. And and we'll hopefully try and catch you out sometime very soon yeah, in one of those do. fabulous I spots. You, I hope to see you guys out there. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. That's our show for today, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. Please tune in uh, in two weeks for our next episode here right. on G-Town Radio. Have a great weekend, everybody.